Thank you so much and good morning. We're starting a new study this morning. We're turning in our Bibles to the book of Second Thessalonians. Second Thessalonians is a book that was written to people who were going through persecution. If you were to read, as you will probably want to, in Acts chapter 16 and then chapter 17, what you will find is that persecution seems to be on the rise. In chapter 16, the Apostle Paul had positioned himself in the Greek city of Philippi and thrown into prison there. In chapter 17, having left Philippi, he made his way to Thessalonica. And in Thessalonica, what you and I find is that a church has been started. Paul has been instrumental. Three consecutive Sabbath days, he'd been expounding God's word, meaning the Older Testament at that point, all of which would point to the fact that Jesus Christ had to die and be raised from the dead. Well, as persecution began to expand, as people such as Jason were thrown into prison in Thessalonica, a letter was needed to be able to encourage them. Paul would write First Thessalonians, and then a short time later he would offer a sequel, Second Thessalonians, all of which was to put persecution, trials, tribulations in proper perspective. And this morning what we're going to be doing is to launch in now to Second Thessalonians. And I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. And simply as an introduction to this study today, take it down through verse 4. And here we find these words. Paul, Silvanus, also by the way known as Silas in the Bible. And Timothy. To the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. So you've already been gripped with the fact that there's afflictions, that there are problems, that there are hardships, there are difficulties. So this morning, if you find yourself in the throes of challenges and difficulties and hardships and so on, I want to be able to draw out the principles that are found here and allow for God's word truly to speak to your heart this morning as we look to our Lord in prayer. And Father, as we're coming into your presence now, what we want to do is to have our eyes focused, riveted upon the one who was raised from the dead, Jesus. It creates a sense of awe within our hearts when we think about the eternal strategy that before the beginning of time, there was a covenant within the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The second member would enter into this world and that he would die for our sins. Before we loved you, you loved us. And we think the power of the cross of Jesus Christ and how the love was expressed by you to such a degree in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died 
for us. We are here this morning to worship you. You deserve the worship. And so from the depths of our sinful beings, our sinful nature, but if we've put faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and as Savior, from the deep, rich reservoir of grace, we extend worship to you. And ask, Father, that you're honored by our hearts as well as our lips of praise. In these minutes together, as we get our arms around these opening verses of this chapter, of this book, that speaks to people who are being afflicted for their faith, I pray we can glean insights as to how this relates to the yesterdays, the days, and today's, and tomorrow's of our lives. So, Father, honoring you now, warm these hearts and engage these minds. Again, shape these wills. Come here to see Jesus and him only. We're praying these things again now in Jesus' name. Amen. Walking into the oncology unit, it was obvious that the nurses were shifting. One group of nurses were leaving, another arriving. And as I made my way to a particular room, as I was standing outside that particular door, a nurse approached me and asked me if I could put a card in the hands of the patient. She was so impressed with this patient and knew that I was her pastor. And now that the nurse was leaving, wanted to make absolutely certain that her feelings about that patient were, were heard and known. I said I would. So I walked into this patient's room. I said, I've got a gift for you. She said, would you read it to me? I began to read the thank you note, and it reached this point. Thank you. Thank you for modeling faithfulness in the midst of life's trials. And the tear on the cheek of that nurse who placed it in my hands was matched by the tear on the cheek of that patient who didn't even realize that she had had such an impact upon not only that nurse, but other medical personnel as well. She thought she was suffering in isolation. But in reality, what God was doing was orchestrating a sense of integration, bringing people in and out of that room, getting people to think about the things that matter most in life. And when you and I are placed on the platform of affliction, We are given the opportunity not to create a sense of isolation from God and what he's doing, but to be fully integrated with the people of God through whom he is doing much. Now, God is doing much with the people in Thessalonica. In fact, one of them, his name was Jason, was brought before the magistrates. He had allowed for Paul and others to be able to minister in Thessalonica Paul leaves and Jason is thrown in prison. There seems to be a growing tension as the gospel of Jesus Christ was making its way into Europe at this point. But this sense of affliction was being met at the same time with a sense of affirmation. 
that God wanted to use his people, even in the midst of challenges, not despite challenges, in the midst of challenges, to be able to minister to others at their point of need and to model faithfulness in a life that's filled with trials, which is, might very well be where some of us are at today. So what I want to do now is to take that thank you note. I want to begin to ponder this thank you note that Paul has written to God on behalf of the people of Thessalonica and draw out four significant reasons as to why we need to express thanks to God in a manner in which other people are processing this sense of thankfulness in the midst of the challenges we face, whether it be a loss you've just occurred in life, a difficulty you are now staring at in life, or the weight of something that goes beyond what any of us might know at this point found within your life. Four reasons for thankfulness. And the first flows out of verse 1 and verse 2. And we're going to phrase it like this. And number one, when trials come our way, your way, my way, express thanks to God for the blessings of salvation. Would you do that with me? Now notice that there is a trio of names at the very onset here. The name Paul, Silvanus, known in the book of Acts as Silas, and Timothy. And what strikes me at this point is that Paul and Silas are roughly the same age of each other. They were traveling companions, particularly on the second missionary travels going into West Europe. Timothy, on the other hand, was a younger man. I notice how the combination of the older now have begun to minister to the younger and modeled for him what does it mean to live for God in sometimes some very challenging situations. I remember the very early days of being a senior pastor out in Connecticut, and I had gone into a coffee shop at a national conference, and I sat down and I was penning some studies together for the sake of teaching in a coming evening gathering. Got up for a second cup of coffee, and when I came back, there were two older pastors who intentionally sat down at my table. They had actually pulled up chairs. Now, one of them would become pastor of Park Street Church in Boston, Massachusetts, a well-known national figure. He was highly learned. And the other would become president of a, of a theological seminary out west. But what they shared in common was not only their friendship with one another, but they were absolutely committed in investing in the next generation. Now, we've got to make absolutely certain that we are investing in one another. I find it interesting here that Paul has Silas with him, and in the midst of being thrown into that Philippian jail, they continue on with Timothy at this point, and they are investing in Timothy as they're investing in the Thessalonian people, and Timothy is watching how all of this is being modeled. Now, you and I need to find continual ways to be able to invest in others, model for others the way in which we do ministry collectively, corporately, in a way that has high impact for God's glory, even in the midst of life's challenges and tribulations, which Paul and Silas had to endure while in Philippi. They were singing, they were singing so badly that the jail, there was an earthquake, and the jail doors just swung wide open, and they stayed right there, you see, because they began to plant a church right there in that jail of all places. That jailkeeper came to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. It became part of that nucleus in Philippi. And I'm sure because now in Thessaloniki, about 100 miles south of Philippi, the word has gotten out. 
These men mean serious business for God. They're modeling ministry. They're modeling unity. They're modeling maturity in the midst of the hardships of life. And you and I need to be investing in others like Paul and Silas did with Timothy, investing in the Thessalonians that God has brought into your life and mine. And so as he pens this, there's a trio of men here. And with this trio of men, you and I are informed that this is written to the church of the Thessalonians. But what I want you to see is the incredible God-centeredness of this approach. Notice the first of two prepositions about God. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice the words in God. What I want to say to you is that being in God, that is your eternal zip code. That is your eternal residence. That is the location in which you find yourself if you are born again. If you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior and as your Lord, you are in God. That means then that even when you are in trying times, you are in God in trying times. And so what people need to be able to observe when you are in trying times is that you are in God in trying times, and they can see the dual residency. You've got an eternal residency in God. You've got a temporal residency in your trials. And the whole matter of fact here is that you have placed your faith in God while in trials. This is an incredibly wonderful statement you can make. And it so impacted the oncology unit of that particular area of the hospital that a nurse who was echoing the thoughts of others was able to say thank you. Thank you for modeling faithfulness. Thank you for modeling faithfulness in the midst of trials. People are watching you. They process how you handle loss as well as gains. It's not what life does to you. It's what life reveals about you that so influences and impacts souls around you. And so now we've got this dual residency that is standing out in our midst. They are in God. That's their eternal zip code. But they're also in trying times. That's their earthly setting. And don't confuse the two. Create a healthy tension within your mindset is how the eternal shapes the temporal, not vice versa. So if you're facing these difficulties, what I want you to do now is to follow the prepositions of God with me. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the churches of the Thessalonians in God. And now notice further wording here, our Father. Paul doesn't simply say, my Father. In other words, he is modeling for the Thessalonians unity combined with maturity as they do ministry. Likewise, you and I are to demonstrate unity while we do ministry in the context of growing maturity as we invest time in God's word 
which is our which is our responsibility in these worship services. So now notice that he does not give a defense for the fact that this being in God is in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He's not apologizing for saying and the Lord Jesus Christ. Here we see spiritual equality. Here we see spiritual eternal deity. He is in essence equating in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. But I want you to notice here that not only is such ministry in the midst of the trials of life done in God, but furthermore, we bring a ministry from God. Look at verse 2. Grace to you and peace. Now notice what appears on the screen next. From God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So now what I want you to be able to do is to couple in your mind, yes, I am in God. I am in God in the midst of my trials because I have both an eternal zip code and this temporal zip code. I am in God eternally, I am in trials temporarily, and I am in God because of what I have experienced from God. We're connecting dots. Notice the sequence in verse 2. Grace to you and peace. It does not say peace to you and grace. In other words, peace is the result of God's grace in your life and mine. Where you and I, if we put faith and trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and as our Savior, we've experienced unmerited favor from God. That I have not merited salvation. I have not merited establishing my residence in God. But rather my residence established in God was because of what I have experienced from God. Now notice the sequence. It's grace and then peace. Now you and I long for a sense of peace in our lives. And sometimes the natural tendency in this world is to say, I have grace from God, so why am I not fully experiencing outward peace in my circumstances? But remember, you've got to let the internal shape the external And you've got to allow the in God, coupled with the from God, allow you to be able to handle the challenges of life's difficulties that come your way. I want you to bridge the in God from God. And think through very carefully what is occurring here. But furthermore, have you noticed that we've got a duplicate on our hands? Not only were we told in God, our Father in the Lord Jesus Christ, But furthermore, we were informed from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so once again, and what typically the Bible does, is that it produces repetition. And repetition is God's means of getting our attention. Repetition is the exclamation point in the scriptures for the way in which you and I are to recognize what God values most. At this point, what God is doing is once again affirming the deity and the equality within the Godhead here. As the third member of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit is inspiring Paul to write these words. Now, when you and I think about that, maybe our minds go back to that story of Corrie ten Boom. 
You're thinking about in God, from God, while in the challenging, difficult circumstances I'm in. Corey Tenboom in The Hiding Place relates an incident that taught her always to be thankful. You see, she and her sister Betsy had just transferred to the worst Nazi prison camp they had seen at Ravensbrück. And on entering the barracks, they found themselves in an extremely overcrowded, flea-infested area. That morning, they were reading together. They were reading through First and Second Thessalonians and reminded them, the Scriptures did, to rejoice always, pray constantly, and give thanks in all circumstances. Did you hear that? Betsy told Corey to stop and thank the Lord for every detail of their new living quarters. The biographer says that Corey at first flatly refused to thank God for the fleas. But Betsy persisted, and Corey finally succumbed to her pleadings. During the months spent at the camp, they were surprised to find how openly they could hold Bible study and prayer meetings without Nazi guard interference. And it was not until several months later that they learned that the reason the guards would not enter the barracks because of the fleas. And while there, they continued to explain the gospel of Jesus Christ to people who were in less than ideal circumstances with a thankful spirit. And there was a contagion, a spiritual contagion, as people listened and processed. What does it mean to know Jesus? To know Jesus at a very personal level you are in God. And because of Christ's shed blood on the cross, we are able to fully appreciate the value of what comes from God. Grace and peace. And so this tremendous sense of peace, there's this internal factor, and when your externals are working against you, you've got the internals that outweigh the externals. Remember, when Jesus Christ wanted to direct his disciples to the other side of the lake, he led them through the storm, not around the storm, while Jesus slept. There was a tremendous sense of peace in that boat. Jesus is resting, and he is modeling that sense of peace in the midst of life's turbulence. Are you doing that? if you've experienced loss, if you've experienced difficulties in these past days, are you able to model this sense of internal peace even when there's a lack of external peace around you? It's because you understand the combination here of grace and peace. And peace is the result of God's grace operative within your life and mine. So now, if you want to be a God-centered person, And if you want to work with your eternal zip code in the midst of these temporary challenges you're facing and I'm facing, you begin to connect the dots of being in God and experiencing and receiving something from God. And you are now thankful to God for the blessings of salvation that are yours through the finished work of Jesus Christ on that cross. You draw that out of verses 1 and 2. But now what I want you to notice with me is the second reason 
A second reason why in less than ideal circumstances you and I continue to be able to provide and offer a sense of thanks to God is found in verse 3. First part, I'll read it and then develop it with you. We ought always, not sometimes, we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers. Pause. He likes that word ought always. Why, at the end of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 16, rejoice always. In verse 17, pray without ceasing. And then in verse 18 of that fifth chapter of the first book, give thanks in all circumstances. Does not say give thanks because of your circumstances. It says give thanks in all circumstances. Why? You are in God if you put faith and trust in Jesus. You've experienced grace and peace from God. Therefore, even when your circumstances are less than ideal, and when there's a lack of peace on the outside, you've got this sense of real peace on the inside, you give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And I'm awed with the fact that Corey and Betsy Ten Boom were praying that very verse to each other after having read that verse to each other, praying it collectively to their God, as they were bringing the needs of the fellow prisoners to God in prayer, and then would read on into Second Thessalonians 1 and get to verse 3, we ought always to give thanks, to give thanks to God. Now, would you do this with me? Underline the phrase, to God. Because now here in your third verse, you and I find the second reason for giving thanks, that when trials come our way, express thanks to God, not only for the blessings of salvation in verses 1 and 2, but secondly, the growth of faith that is found in verse 3, first part. We ought always to give thanks to God. Now, if you want to be a God-centered person in less than ideal circumstances, understand the prepositions of God. You are in God, Number one, you have received from God. Number two, you offer thanks to God. Number three, now the person who, has, who is not spiritually mature in Jesus Christ might find himself or herself in God, but not fully appreciative of the blessings which come from God and for reasons perhaps due to their current circumstances they have not grown in faith, and as a result, they're not offering thanks to God. Don't be that person. What you want to do now is once you've established your eternal zip code, you are in God. And you allow your sense of being in God to allow you to offer a sense of, I understand the blessings that come from God by giving a sense of thanks to God as you connect the dots of your life, you are better prepared to minister to other people that see you in less than ideal circumstances. Thank you. Thank you for modeling faithfulness in the midst of trials. To give thanks to God for you 
brothers. Paul is not a self-centered man. He's an other-oriented type of person. He's giving thanks with regard to people like you and people like me, as is right. And then adds this, because your faith is a growing abundantly. That is the description of a river that is converging with another river, and now the rapids are intensifying. There is this sense of forward movement. God is saying that as you collectively connect your faith to other people who are of like faith, your faith is growing abundantly. It's picking up speed. There's added breath. There's added depth. In other words, it is not contracting. This kind of faith is expanding because the faith is growing abundantly. And furthermore, I want you to notice that this is a very personal kind of faith because your faith, not merely the faith, your faith, not your parents' faith, Your faith. Make it personal here. And now ask yourself the question, is my faith growing? And if my faith is growing, is my faith growing abundantly? And furthermore, am I giving thanks to God for the way in which other people's faith has so impacted me and give glory to God's name? It was 300 years after the Apostle Paul lived that John Chrysostom, a great courageous pastor, died. You see, what happened was that the emperor and empress schemed to have him put to death, died in exile from his home. Thirty years later, his body was brought back to Constantinople for burial. And get this in the imperial tomb. Now Chrysostom's model throughout life was inscribed on that tomb. And you know what that model was? Praise God for everything. Incredible. As his friends testified, when he was driven from home, when he was a stranger in the strange land, his letters to his friends would often end with these words. Praise God for all things. And where did he get this from? 1 Thessalonians 5.18, And everything give thanks. And now the people of Thessaloniki would understand that there must be a sense of maturity in this willingness and capacity to give thanks to God, not in a self-centered way, but in the sense that I'm connected with other people of faith, I'm giving thanks to God for them. Are you doing that? And is your faith growing abundantly so that when your trials have given you an opportunity to minister to other people, the tendency of a nurse, the tendency of somebody at work would be to say thank you. Thank you for modeling faithfulness. Thank you for modeling faithfulness in the midst of your personal trials. 
you are becoming a teacher visually as well as verbally, you see. Now, once we've developed that, we're ready for this third reason for giving thanks. That thirdly, when trials come our way, express thanks to God for the increase of love. At the second part of verse 3, he goes on to say, And the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Now, the Greek word for love is agape. And notice it is the love of every one of you. So now Paul is canvassing the Thessalonian church. And one of the distinctives of that church is a tremendous sense of agape love that so mocks the people of that church and should so mock the people of this church that this church is stamped with agape love to such a degree that it goes on to say the love of every one of you for one another. But not only for one another, it says for one another is increasing. In other words, within this fellowship, the love you had for people yesterday doesn't compare to the love you have for them today. And the love you have for them today will not compare to the love that you'll have for them tomorrow. Because there is this expansion here. And now notice how he couples this idea of the growth of faith with the increase of love. The growth of faith was used to describe waters that are intensifying, growing abundantly. And furthermore, this love which is increasing is the picture of a tree next to those waters whose root system goes down deep. And the root system, both in depth and breadth, to such a degree is allowing for this tree to flourish. People flourish when we have this faith-love combination at work here. People flourish when they understand the connection between the in God, from God, to God mentality of God's people. And all this is wrapped up in the whole matter of agape love. Years ago, there was a couple that asked me about a week before the wedding I was to perform for them, if I would write down my ten best list, ten best list descriptives of what love is all about, and they said that they simply wanted to carry it around with them for the rest of their lives. And so I said, okay, I'll give it my best shot. Wrote it down and told them, here's, here's a sense, here's a sense of agape love for what it's worth. Here's what I wrote to them. Such love is sacrificial, not self-serving. Such love is a choice of the will, not merely matters of feeling. Such love is based upon Christ's cross. not contemporary definitions. Christ's love meets needs of others, not the personal wants of self. Such love is real, 
not superficial. Such love is permanent, not temporary. Such love is shared in proximity with, not in isolation from. Such love is unnatural, not natural, thus the command to love one another. He wouldn't have to command you if it was natural. Such love is required. It's not an option. And tenthly, such love is shaped in church fellowship. Not apart from church fellowship. Remember he wrote these words to a church. A church that was hurting. People who were facing ongoing tribulation. It was written to a church. Now you take this and you begin to put this together. In God. From God. To God. You're connecting dots. Blessings of salvation. Growth of faith. Increase of love. And now you move to this fourth and this final reason. That fourthly, when trials come our way, express thanks to God for the examples of perseverance. Where in verse 4, he then goes on to say, Therefore, we ourselves boast. Now notice it does not say we ourselves boast about ourselves and our achievements. No, that's spiritual immaturity. But he has such an other person dimension in his soul. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God. And now you've got your fourth preposition there of God-centeredness. You are in God. Such salvation comes from God. You give thanks to God because you are of the church of God. Do you see how he has such a God-centeredness about life itself? It's no wonder he could sing in a prison. It's no wonder he could then move into Thessaloniki and share the gospel of Jesus Christ in the midst of opposition. And now, as these Thessalonians process, they realize Paul has ministered visually as well as verbally. He has gone through difficult times in Philippi. He's gone through persecution. Now so are we. But he understood that though he was in Philippi, he was in God in Philippi. And so you move from the in God through the from God, to the to God, to the of God, and it's all about God. And you pull this together and you say, where do I find such stamina to face the challenges of life? Here's your answer. 
Therefore we ourselves boast about you in the churches. In other words, he's such an encourager. He might be weary, but he's boasting about others, not about his accomplishments. For your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions. In other words, they are in God in persecutions, but they know their eternal zip code and the in, this whole sense of being in the persecutions, in all your persecutions, and in the afflictions that you are enduring, that's temporal stuff. And you allow the eternal to shape the temporal perspective you need. And when you put it all together, that allows you to endure and thrive because you've got your in God, from God, to God, and of God working in your faith. Another tear slips down that cheek. She looks at me and says, I just didn't know. At that point, I look up and look to the side, and there are two more nurses standing there at the door. And they're smiling. She's impacted their lives as well. Ready to impact a life for God's glory. Let's stand together. I thank you, Father, for who you are. You didn't send Jesus Christ into this world to avoid afflictions. You sent Jesus Christ into the world of afflictions to the point where he would die on the cross to save us from our sins. And Jesus has a way of transforming these difficulties and turning the trials into the triumphs through the stamp of resurrection upon that empty tomb. So thank you, Father. We praise you for who you are. We thank you for what you've done. And I pray that we will be distinguished as a God-centered congregation where you are preeminent and you alone receive the glory. And we pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.